Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my longtime friend, Wes Hamilton, about Doug Psalm's 1973 album, Doug Psalm and Band. We talk about Psalm's life and legacy as an underrated country music troubadour, as well as growing up around country music and how its similarities with punk music inform Wes's songwriting and ethics to this day. We recorded this episode in person a few weeks ago, so please excuse the slight differences in ambiance. Also, please excuse any differences in the way I sound because I just recovered from COVID. Wes plays in the group Wes and the Railroaders and previously played music with yours truly in Pullman Strike, Math Mountain, and Obstruction. You can also catch him slinging pedal steel all over the southeast. Check out the Railroaders' latest EP, Drinking My Way Up. Okay, check out the Spinning Out Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Every week, my co-host Sarah and I chat about records from our past. Also, check us out on social media at Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod. Okay, don't want to hold you any longer? Let's chat with my good buddy Wes. Hey Wes, how's it going? Oh man, not too bad. What are we talking about today? I think we're talking about Doug Somm. Yeah, we're talking about Doug Somm, uh, his 1973 album, Doug Somm and Band. So it's his debut solo album on Atlantic Records. It was from producer Jerry Wexler. And uh, yeah, so I guess it sold poorly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know where to go from that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think, I think something that they've always kind of said about him is that, you know, he could play everything. I think that's a really cool thing if you're able to play everything, but that's not always marketable. Yeah. You know? I guess to back it up, though, um, when was the first time you heard Doug song? Uh, I think... That's probably kind of like a, I, I would say maybe the first time that I really was like, oh, I want to check this guy out, I think was um, listening to that Uncle Tupelo song. Well, it was his song, Give, Give Back the Keys to My Heart. Yeah. And um, when I heard him singing in that song, I was like, oh, check out and see who this guy is. I saw that he had written it. And, um, and then I kind of looked at his, looked at his catalog and realized i'd heard a bunch of those songs i I knew the texas tornadoes Mm -hmm. you know as a kid and then i'd heard she's about a mover on the oldies radio forever ago and so then i was kind of like well i guess i gotta check this guy out because he's playing a lot of stuff that i know and that i like yeah so yeah i think there was even like a point where you were like you should listen to doug song and i was like i don't want to and I, I don't know, but then, <laughs> then one day I felt like it clicked. Yeah. Where I was like, it's like, I, I mean, I knew with like Uncle Tupelo that there was like another guy singing on it. Yeah. But I never like put it together that it was his song uh-huh. until I heard the Doug Somm version and was like, oh, that's him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I should have listened to you, I guess. Is, I guess, right? <laughs> but like, I don't know. It, but then also when I started kind of, when I finally folded and really started uh, 
seeking out Doug Som. Um, I didn't know anything about Texas Tornadoes, but growing up, my grandfather really liked Freddie Fender. Oh, so yeah. I was familiar with Freddie Fender, and I was a fan. Yeah. But, yeah, I found, like, a Texas Tornadoes record at, at like, a used record store. Uh, and just kind of started putting it together. What's interesting about him, it's like, it's almost like an Indiana Jones thing where it's like, where it's like Doug Som has been everywhere. Oh yeah. Like everyone's yeah. kind of vouched for him and he's been in every single situation, but yeah. he still doesn't get like the credit he sure. deserves. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was doing all, you know, in the, in the sixties, he was out in San Francisco and, yeah. and all that in Northern California and hanging out with the hippies, you know, and then. He said he said once that kind of that scene died down, everybody headed to Austin, and he's like, "Well, you know, getting closer to home, kind of thing." Yeah. And so he was down there when all that was going on too. That makes him more like he's like a Dewey Cox character. Yeah, right. <laughs> he kind of he kind of like lived through all the phases of of yeah. like of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, have you really checked out? Like, spent a lot of time listening to Sir Douglas Quintet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, that's, I mean, kind of the same thing. It's just like with my work, I've seen more and more Sir Douglas Quintet posters because of the whole San Francisco yeah. connection with him being involved with like, I guess that's like psych rock kind of 60s mm -hmm. stuff. And then, yeah, kind of going into country stuff in the early 70s. Um, I, I think it was interesting too to just kind of think that like Jerry Wexler had a hand in this album. It yeah, man, it's a weird it's a weird record in general because it seems it's I'm assuming that it was all recorded live, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's got Bob Dylan playing like back back up instrument background instruments yeah. in it and and doing background vocals and you know and Doctor John and all that you know it's it's kind of like a super group with everybody in that band and yeah it's just kind of yeah yeah it's like. <laughs> T-Bone Walker yeah. and Willie Nelson like wrote songs for this this album, and yeah, Bob Dylan actually like being there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what's so weird. I mean, it's like, I think why isn't Doug Som like Bob Dylan? Yeah, well, yeah. or like Willie Nelson because he was yeah they were they were tight and they were always together and and uh, I think I think like I said I think a lot of it was that he he didn't narrow it down to one specific style and i think that kind of like i said earlier marketability yeah. with that because if you're you know you're playing a honky-tonk song and then you turn around and you're playing a like a blues song and then you you know the next thing is like a real fast kind of hard rock and roll sort of song people yeah. kind of that's what's weird though because i feel like i i feel like i could agree with that like it's like he changed genres so many times that it's kind of hard for people to like keep up with them but I also feel like Bob Dylan has done that so oh, yeah. much in his career. But for some reason, yeah, people allow him to do it. Right, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, that, you know, just because you can doesn't mean it's always great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also, there's no real way to answer the idea of, like, why wasn't he as big as Bob Dylan? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he had, yeah, he had all that talent, like, you know, like I was telling you about him, you know, or he, you know, he was a, a child prodigy, steel guitar prodigy and fiddle and all that, you know, playing with Hank Williams and stuff, and and he could play, you know, songs from memory, you know, hearing them one time and stuff. 
I don't know. It's crazy. That's, yeah. But I think I don't know, man. It just it's just different for for everybody. Yeah, I guess one thing that's kind of interesting is, I guess the question I'm trying to ask, but it sounds silly to ask, is uh, like when did you get into country music? Has that been something you feel like you've been into like forever, as long as you can remember? Yeah, I mean. I would say, yeah, growing up, I've still got some of the records that we used to listen to when I was a kid. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Tom T. Hall. I grew grew up listening to a lot of that stuff. And uh, I always kind of liked older, older music as a kid. And then this stuff kind of stood out to me more as an adult. For a long time, I was focused on a band should be, you know, specific to to this. But, like, he, he... kind of would change change his style just depending on whatever he felt like doing it seemed like mm-hmm. and uh i think that's pretty cool not being afraid to you know try something different do something do yeah. whatever you want to do yeah has it do you feel like that approach has influenced you as like a songwriter uh i would like to think so but songwriting's really hard <laughs> <laughs> and uh so every time i think i want to sit down and try to try to do something different i feel like i guess i you know you always end up sounding like you kind of thing um but for sure it it definitely influences me because yeah you get go through phases you don't want to keep doing writing the same song over and over again yeah that that's like such a fucked up thing with like songwriting where it's like i get an idea in my head and i'm like i'd like to accomplish that but when i sit down i feel like it's either going to be me or it's going to be nothing yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's like people that we know that can just, like, sit down and write, like, a, let's say they're, like, in a metal band and they can just write it like a certain type of thing and it comes out sounding that oh, way. Oh, yeah. But it's like, I can't do that. It's just going to be the way that it is. Yeah, some people have that talent. I, You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's <laughs> It's hard. Yeah. It feels like it gets harder when I try and force it to be a certain thing. It's just easier to make it, like... Oh, this is me. I'm just yeah, have to for be cool well, with that. for me, a lot of times I think what happens is I'll have ideas in my head, and then when I try to write them, this like nothing will come to me. But then when I'm not thinking of anything, and I just sit down, and then just one line pops in my head, and I'm immediately like, "There's a whole thing." Yeah, you know, if I if I plan it, it usually doesn't work. Or yeah. try to come up with a specific idea, I'm usually like, "Yeah, I don't know. I can kind of get there, but I can't finish it." But it, but if a thought pops into my head out of nowhere, is usually when it's like, oh, there's a whole song there, right away. <laughs> yeah. So with like Doug Som, do you feel like he's like someone that came a little bit later for you in terms of your taste, or uh, because like when did you get into like Uncle Tupelo? Yeah, I think he definitely came later. It would have been, I was in my twenties, I guess, when I started getting into Uncle Tupelo. And around the same time I'm sure we probably yeah. were getting into it at the same time. Um But but yeah, like I said, it's like once I did a little digging into it I realized I was like, I've heard this guy before. I already knew some of these songs. Um I th- I don't know. I I guess it's been probably ten or twelve years now that I've really been kinda into it. One thing that's interesting to me, you don't see it as much now, but I feel like it used to be like rock or country used to just like they were performers of songs. Like there there wasn't so much the idea that like I wrote this song. 
And that's like something evident on this record with like even the first track is anybody going to San Antonio. Charlie, well, like, did Charlie Pride write the song or he's just another person that performed it? That's yeah. like a weird thing with some of that. Right. Because I've seen different things that says Charlie Pride wrote that and then I've seen other things that doesn't have his name on it. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I, that, that happened a lot. You know, there would always be like a record a record label guy, I guess. It was like, well, that song's a hit. Let's have this guy do it. Yeah. And see how their version their version works with it. And um, But I think Charlie Pride, I mean, obviously had the, the hit with it. And, and his version's more known, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I remember hearing the Charlie Pride version before. Yeah. Doug song, but it also starts kind of running yeah together yeah. with that yeah I like I like Doug's version better though for sure yeah it's <laughs> it's like a weird thing I I just don't feel like it happens as much anymore you still yeah. see it in like pop music like you sure. you don't always assume that like a pop singer writes any or most of their stuff but like with like rock really yeah it's people it's assumed that you write all your songs right yeah. if you're if you're an original band that means you yeah not yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah i don't i think it would be cool to have somebody write me a bunch of really good songs <laughs> and just tell me to go play them I'd yeah. be like all right let's go you know it takes a little pressure off but you can still make them your own way you know yeah. i think and i think that's what he did with a lot of those songs because he he was all over the place with with covers and and they always ended up sounding like Dove, you know? Yeah, even that uh, that Thanksgiving thing that you sent me yeah. um, that had, like, Jerry Garcia sitting in with them, it was yeah. just, like, cover jam that got recorded. Yeah, yeah. You know, the idea of, like, knowing, I don't know, hours worth of covers. Sure. <laughs> you you know, gotta still do something yeah. that's, like, I don't know if I know, like, two covers that's how those a lot of those guys came up and it's still kind of a thing in that scene it's you know you gotta you gotta play at the bar you gotta you gotta know three hours worth of music if you're playing a, a bar gig yeah you know because people are there drinking and hanging out all night and i guess if, i mean you know i've seen bands restart their set you know because i mean if you play an hour and a half uh, and then you've got another hour and a half to kill it's like well surely the same people weren't here you know yeah maybe that also happens more because i always feel like when i hear someone like oh they had to do like a four-hour set i mean i know ben's i mean i've played three-hour sets i've done it it's yeah. not fun <laughs> i mean i've done it too and i don't think we played like one cover somehow yeah. but Oof. yeah but you, it's like you start <laughs> leaning into like they're like oh we get another break yeah kind yeah. of thing you know you're thinking you're like okay three-hour set so how many breaks do we get yeah and that, that breaks it down to you know we, we really only have to play an hour and 20 minutes each set you know yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah i don't know it's just it's also like when you see like most kind of rock clubs they almost don't want you to play covers too so that's kind of a unique kind of shift and it's like i don't know if there ever was like a time that things started changing or if it's just like a different style of music and a perception um because like like you're saying like there's breweries and smaller bars that aren't like particularly rock clubs that will just those artists play covers for yeah i mean people just want to hear songs they're familiar with sometimes you yeah know? um i i guess it's like i'm almost like looking at it a different way um so probably the 
the wider world is more used to people doing covers, but I feel like I've only like toured in like original bands and they're like, don't play more than one or two covers. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like playing a cover here and there. Um, but I got into music because I wanted to make my own. Yeah. I never, I, I mean, when I, for the longest time before when I was playing music, I didn't know anybody else's songs. I was like, why would I know somebody? Why would I want to know somebody else's? Now I understand, you know, the more I do it, I understand that, you know, it's helpful to know other people's songs and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, learn songs you like and that way you, you kind of build your sound around stuff you, you're interested in. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know, man. I, I've known some people in, in cover bands that have never played any original music at all and I, it's just, it doesn't seem like fun to me. Yeah, that seems to be like <laughs> a lot of those people that just play covers. They feel I feel like they they obviously make more money than I do in a night of sure, playing. Yeah, but yeah, they never write an original song or yeah. get to play them live. Right. So then I'm like, I'd rather. I guess I'm saying I'd rather play my original songs to nobody. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the trade off yeah. with it. Is like. You know, I could learn a bunch of covers, but also too, it's like someone's like, "Oh, I got two hundred bucks a night from playing covers," but then I'm like, "Well, how much time did you sit around learning all those covers?" You gotta know one hundred and fifty songs. Then I'm like, then I start doing <laughs> you know? the math. Which, if you did the math on any yeah. kind of being in a band, yeah. it's not worth it. Uh, but then I'm like, you're not really making that much with the work that it takes right. you to learn like all of these songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of those. If, as far as cover bands go, too, uh, a lot of songs that cover bands play, the ones that you hear over and over and over, it's because they're probably partially because they're easy to play. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times you don't have to necessarily, like, you're like, well, I've heard that song a million times. I don't know if I know it necessarily, but if you're a capable enough musician, a lot of times you you might be able to fake your way through it. And then like, it takes yeah. a couple times, and you're like, all right, I know how to play the song now. Well, with... Thinking about like what covers like Doug Som plays, like I guess on this record or on that recording, it's interesting to think that those were like pretty contemporary songs to that time frame. Like, but it's like people are still covering like Doug Som era stuff. It's like yeah. it feels funny that it's like, have you ever covered a song that was written in like 2012? No, like right. that's what it feels like sometimes when you look back. Um, at like what he was covering yeah. at these shows, there are a lot of these musicians. They were they were covering their friends, uh, and <laughs> I think that's kind of cool in a way. I was kind of thinking about that, you know, like thinking about my friends' bands, and and I and I'll always think anytime I'm listening to my friends' bands, if a song pops, a song of theirs pops into my head, and I'm like, oh man, that'd be cool if I, that's a cool song. I wonder if I could learn it. You know, I've always thought it would be cool to do something like that. I, I think I like that, you know, like him like him doing the Willie Nelson song on here, Me and Paul. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's a song about Willie Nelson and his drummer. Yeah. What a weird, it's a weird song to cover and put it on a record. Yeah, like, or even uh, on the other recording that I'm referencing, there was like a Rolling Stones song. And yeah, it's like, that song just came is... out like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah. right around the same yeah. time. But I guess it's just, yeah, it's funny because you, I don't know, you just don't think about it the same the same way nowadays, I guess. It seems like back then they were, I guess things were a little more new still, yeah. you know? Like, like that kind of music was new, so they were just like putting it all out there, I guess. Then where does it feel like, like in 2021... 
are people kind of looking too far back? Like, are people looking... Are you looking currently, like, what's going on? Or is, is there a lot of referencing to 1973? I mean, there's... There's a lot of... Really, there's a lot of cool stuff out right now that has kind of a similar similar sound to, to a lot of what they're doing, but, you know, also sounds unique in its own way and, and more modern, you know. I don't... I, I, I like... I like a lot of... 70s stuff i like production like 70s mm-hmm. production and and the way that songs are were, were done but you know you can't you can't just make them make everything sound just like a ripoff of th- something that's already been done nobody wants to listen to that you know you can take that influence and yeah. add that into your own ideas yeah um, i mean I, I feel like that kind of happens with culture yeah every and with right. everything you know it's like you could say like people are like, why are we looking back to the '90s or the early 2000s? Or it's like everything. It's like what is, what do we currently like? Like in 1973, yeah. what were they referencing? Right. <laughs> well, what on that? If you're saying like '90s, man, I, I feel like I've been like going out now. I realize I'm getting old when I'm when I'm seeing younger people out there, and I'm like. I used to dress like that when I was in high school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, whoa, why is that Why is that cool again? Yeah, and it's you know, still that thing where you're like, oh, the night, like, it's like 92. I'll, I'll do that thing where I'm like, 92 was 20 years ago. Yeah, it's not and that like, long Oh, ago. shit, it was 30. Yeah, yeah. One yep. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I don't know, it just makes it, I mean, it's a little not exactly what we're talking about, right. but just kind of looking back. Uh, yeah. Also, you we kind of talked about it, but you know those Willie Nelson picnics that yeah. he has oh, like yeah. every year? Yeah. Like Doug Somm was involved. Yeah, the know, first, yeah, that first one, man, that lineup was great. I mean, I I didn't get to go, I haven't gotten to go to those, um, but that first one would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when earlier in the conversation where you were talking about like him changing genres a lot and he started like flirting a lot with kind of like when he moved to what, Amsterdam was it? I think so, yeah. And like the polka influence and but that's like a common thing I think in like even Spanish music mm-hmm. but I don't know just like do you know a lot about that era of time? Uh I've listened to some of that stuff. It's not for me. Yeah. Um, it's it definitely sounds like it came from the time that it came from. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like almost like polka with a drum machine, like synthesizer, but country still sort yeah. of. Yeah. Like and there's a, yeah. A lot of the videos of them wearing like neon suits and stuff. It's pretty. I mean, you know, try something different. Yeah. And see if it sticks. I guess. But uh, you know. Some people are good at some things, and sometimes things don't always turn out the way you want them to. <laughs> yeah. What, when, so that was probably like the 80s when he kind of went so, to yeah. that. And then Texas Tornadoes, I feel like, was like either late 80s or... Yeah, they were late 80s, I think early 90s. Um, that was a super group. I mean, it was a lot of the same people that he had in the band back in the day, you know, with uh, Freddie Fender and Flacco and, yeah. and I think Augie and you know all that but it was more it was like the sound he had been kind of looking for the whole time yeah is what it seemed like it was like they finally grew into that that 
sound that whatever you want to call it i guess that yeah texas is just like texas sound <laughs> yeah because a lot of that te- that's the thing it's like i don't know a lot of the history of that uh norteño yeah. music yeah. conjunto is like another mm-hmm. term um it, it's like when in the 80s era it's like it's kind of there but it's like none of it completely fits you know that yeah. kind of but then yeah with texas tornadoes it's all like oh this all sounds organic Right, yeah, they sound, they definitely sound like, the early stuff, like on this record, when he has kind of that vibe, you know, it, it's it, it's there, but it's not as, like, defined and as put together, I think, as as with Texas Tornadoes. They're, they're, they're like a more polished kind of band, but I, I tend to like the more loose stuff most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah, that's, like, an interesting thing, because I was, like, playing at, at work, but where this feels different like you were saying you think it's recorded live um it's so much looser than like what you're thinking so when i'm listening to doug som and like somebody's not as familiar with it i feel like it's like you're like not that it sounds shitty (laughs) but it's like it it doesn't sound perfect yes is the the way and but that's what i like about it i do like that about it it sounds like a bunch of dudes a bunch of people got together and started playing these songs and then there was just a microphone right there and then just because like he's calling out like chord changes and breaks and stuff in the in the songs in the studio and i guess normally if you're in the studio they would probably cut that out but i think they just they they heard it and they were like well just leave it in there because Mm it 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 i mean it, it fits yeah, it sounds like a live performance, <laughs> yeah. but it's like he's not, he's not like a bad singer by any no. stretch, but he's not a perfect singer. Like right. Perfect is a better way to say it. Yeah. Right. Um, he's just like, everything feels loose. You know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's his personality. It probably had, had a lot to do with that. It being it just him, you know, it was just, it was him coming out in the songs and, and, but everybody in the band, everybody he ever played with was like, but the best at what they did, you know, they were all up there. They were all great. So it's pretty crazy. They just, you know, got together and did all that. And yeah, didn't you have you had some Doug Som story of some lady that lived with her? I guess as it was told to you. She. Oh man, I don't remember that story now. Well, it's like. Uh, <laughs> oh, what was it? Do you want okay. me to? I'll tell it based on what I. Yeah, remember. Re- re- because I mean, it's a real short story. Yeah, I just it's, don't yeah. remember what it so, was. So some lady, I guess, told you. So it's yeah. like if anybody's fact checking this, Austin. so we don't really know yeah. if if what she says is right. But right. so this lady, he lived with her for a time. Yes. And my short term. He said that. <laughs> he wrote a song for her. Instead of like paying rent, yeah. Oh, he gave sh- her. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, he 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 put a yeah. Instead of paying rent, he didn't write a song, but he he put the rights to the song and to her. And she's like, it's like one of his whatever song that nobody cares about kind of thing. That was his way of paying rent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's like in the end, I'm not sure how much that benefited. Right, her. she's like, well, I got the rights to this one Doug Som song that nobody that 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 hasn't sold anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, how big was he at any point? I don't know, man. I I don't. I think around Texas, he was probably pretty known. And I think mm-hmm. you know, there's bands that exist just in Texas, and they tour yeah. Texas, and they they're huge, but they 
very rarely leave Texas. I think he might have kind of, kind of, sort of fit that mold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't well, think like, he ever achieved the success that he should have. Yeah. Sure. There's like great artists we know that if they were to just just using a name that I can think of, like uh, we probably have friends or extended, not so much friends that they get to open for like Jason Isbell or something. Sure. But mm. they themselves aren't like big, and that's to no discredit right. of the artists. But that's how it is. That yeah. I feel like that's like that's the role kind of Doug Song kind of played. Like it's like he would get called up yeah. by really great people to play with them and yeah. be on their records and stuff like that. But he himself, from what I can see, wouldn't have filled Red Rock. It's like he had a he had a pretty good following. Yeah. But he just never quite went that next. Yeah. You know, that next step somehow, which I, I don't know. He always feels like somebody that, some, like someone's kind of giving you something a little bit under. You're like, oh, have you heard Doug's song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, yeah. I haven't. Yeah. And then you well, realize you have, cool. you know, yeah. you're like, oh, I have heard these songs before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that is like <laughs> a thing where it's like when I started really digging, I'm like, oh, I know that song. Right. You know, and I, you know, I've heard that or this guy looks familiar yeah. kind of thing. You know, and I don't know if some of it might be like covers he played or some of it you just heard it and you didn't think who it yeah. was, you know. I think I think a lot of it like we we're saying, I think it's it it almost kinda seems like it was a a bar band, but like a really good like a really good bar band that would you know, write a handful of originals here and there and would tour sometimes. Is is kind of kind of what it seems like. Because, I mean a lot of these songs he plays are, are just you know, they're bar songs. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was someone that either they said it themselves or like Rolling Stones were even being like, all we ever wanted to be was like a bar band. You sure. know, but yeah. like just the kind of where you imagine they are versus yeah. that. Like, but yeah, Doug Psalm is like the actual representation. Of yeah, like, it's like the best bar band ever. Yeah. But it's also, it's also hard, I feel like. Like, just be a bar band. Like, kind of, like, have an idea and stick with it. And also, like, like simplicity as the goal. Like, yeah. never real. Like, almost like, oh, I want to be a townie band, and that's what yeah. I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if it works, it works, yeah. I guess, right? I mean, he was able to do do a lot with it. Well, do you actually, do you know kind of about, like, his life and then kind of leading up to his death? Because it's like he didn't. He kind of just, like, fell off or it seemed like it. And it something, hard. it wasn't. Yeah, look it up. I yeah, but I don't I think it's like I don't think there's any story behind it. It was just like he was. I think he had something, but it was. Yeah. I think it was cancer. I think but. so. Yeah, it's just like he, like he just. But it wasn't like he wrote an what album. Was it like 2003? Off of it or something. Yeah, he kind of just faded. He died in Taos, right? Yeah, he had been feeling sick, and he pulled over to. He had to pull over often to vomit. Does anyone die of old age anymore? Remember, uh, I think that's his cancer. I know. I <laughs> think about that today, though. Um, cancer just is the thing that kills people now. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like everybody dies from cancer, some version of it. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like I feel like when we were younger, like people yeah. died of old age. Sure. But I mean, I'm I guess. Like, pe- what did that? What does that mean? I guess people still do, right? Yeah, but like. Do you truly die of old age? Or I mean, at some like point, I was a dumb kid. At some point, you're old and yeah. you just can't live anymore. <laughs> but it's like if you were to have like a, a coroner, wouldn't be like, 
old age. Right. right well, now. it's like the people now that you hear people talk about, like, the the fake the fake stories about like COVID like, they died in a car crash but they had Corona the virus <laughs> so they write it down as so they can get more checks for their hospital yeah well, <laughs> yeah that, I mean I don't know man there's this there's yeah. this guy the this guy Q that's, <laughs> I've been learning a lot he's an insider in the government actually what's funny um, do you think Doug Somm's really dead <laughs> oh, is there a conspiracy? No, no. There's uh, you know about the whole JFK Jr. conspiracy yes. stuff, but there's this. I guess you could call it a cult. There's a QAnon cult. I guess we're talking about this on the pod. There's a QAnon <laughs> cult that essentially believes. Um, there, there's like a n- numbers cult. There's a guy named Tommy Numbers, and then there's this other guy, and they do the thing where it's like snow man no. One, two, three, and it's like there are six like code, yeah, code kind of stuff. But, yeah, you know, um, and so they believe they had this event where they believed that like JFK Jr. was going to show up. Yeah, like I feel like a lot of people know about that stuff. Right. But what they kept doing, which was really stupid, is they would just be like, "Oh, Robin Williams is here." What? Then they were like, "Aaliyah is here," and these aren't <laughs> names I'm making up. These are this people really thought this is a real thing. Oh, so they're. Wait, what? So they were saying that all those people were there. Yeah. They were just like hiding in they plain sight. They even said at some point that there, um, that JFK was going to show up too. I, yeah, I thought I saw something about that and I was confused. I knew that, well, I knew they'd been saying that one guy was JFK Jr. forever, yeah. right? And at first he said no, and then all of a sudden he decided. I think he just play. doesn't say no now. Yeah. He's like, if you want to think. It doesn't I, look anything like him. Yeah, he doesn't. And I think he can't, I think he can't outwardly be like, I am. Because he's a part of it too, right? Yeah, so he kind of has to be like, well, maybe you think I am, kind of thing. Well, what was, what was funny is that they were just like anybody who has died and ever, if people could just be like, he's going to show up. And that's what they were like, Aaliyah was going to show up. So maybe Doug Som. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's going to show up. Is going to show up. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool as long as, you know, he yeah. didn't turn out to be in support of those yeah, people. Yeah, Doug Som was, was <laughs> yeah. That would be, the, hey man, you know, uh, it seems like, a lot of people that were were a lot cooler when they were younger. The older they the older they get, the less cool they are. I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to think not, but oh yeah, I don't. I mean, with any of the people, I mean, it's like I, I feel like I've talked about it a bunch, but like it's like Eric Clapton was clearly always shitty, right? And yeah, but I wonder too. Like even someone like Doug Som, I mean, I would hope not, but I don't know what right. he would be yeah. like. You know. Who knows? Yeah, it seems um, like he was at least he would have at least been entertaining to be around. Yeah, <laughs> something something was gonna happen if he was around. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> always something going on. Um, I guess like one of the things is I'm thinking about. Do you feel like you kind of shift shifted from like listening to punk or country, or was it just kind of always who you were? Growing up, liking country music, and then I guess, like, as we met, uh, we were into, like, quote-unquote punk music. Sure. And then, I guess, as you've gotten older, a lot, I feel like, of what you listen to now is, like, country music. Uh, I probably do the same. (laughs) But do you feel like a shift, or do you feel like they kind of complement each other? I think think they're pretty similar uh, as far as, like, you know, the 
the ideas behind it goes a lot of times. It's usually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's a, it's a, tends to be like a simple song that's easy for people to, to listen to. Well, maybe not. It depends. <laughs> Depending. Depending. Yeah. But you know, like a, like a, like a, a song about real life stuff mm-hmm. and, and it's, they tend to be short and there's probably some kind of catchy little thing in there, you know, and, and they, they just, to me, they, they make, they fit together pretty well. Like growing up, um, the old 97s, catching the old 97s on Austin City Limits was a big, a big change for me because I remember seeing them play and they were wearing like punk band shirts, but they were playing what I thought of at the time, you know, it was like country music. You know, I was like, what is this? This is kind of blowing my mind. I just like yeah. stumbled on Austin City Limits one night watching it. And, um, and I was like, you you can like punk rock and country music at the same time, and it's okay, yeah. you know. But like, I, I really do think that they they come from the same place a mm-hmm. lot of time, you know. Yeah. Hardships and and but also on the other side of that, like partying, you know. Yeah, there was a there was an old ninety sevens video I was watching, and the bass player had a crash shirt on. Right. Yeah. Like it is something that I feel like is interchangeable. Uh, some of it is yeah yeah but the, the ideas behind it i guess are yeah but then there's like punk country yeah yeah <laughs> oh well and then and you know and some of it's good there's but... some good stuff and then there's some some stuff that i'm not that into but um i like you know i i really do think he was doing he was kind of doing more with him trying to reach out and do everything, you listen to a lot of the rock and roll songs and the chord progressions in those rock and roll songs he's playing. If you just put more distortion on them, and he was playing them pretty fast already, mm-hmm. put more distortion yeah. on them, play them more aggressively. They're punk songs. I mean, they're three chord. They're three chord punk songs. Yeah. So I guess with that, like you didn't from playing in hardcore bands and then playing. And like country bands, like it didn't feel like a shift to you. It's no, just kind of an expression. Yeah, I mean, I I still listen to you know I listen to a lot of different stuff. I still listen to a lot of punk bands that I used to listen to. Um, it's just I go through phases. Everybody goes through phases in their life, you know. I've, I've always really liked punk I've, uh, since I was introduced to punk. But country music has been around as long as I can remember in my life, um, and. I mean, I feel like I, I I incorporate the 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 stuff that I that I the values that that came with came with being in punk bands and playing you know and and kind of getting into that stuff. The, I incorporate a lot of those values with with playing in a country band, mm-hmm. and we try to keep it DIY if I can. I mean, it's nice to have people help you out and do things for you, yeah. but but like I also enjoy the the control uh you know being being able to say well i know what's going on you know and and also there's something to be said for like that authenticity too of like they're doing it they're you're doing it on your own nobody's helping you you know and that that comes across in the in the punk thing as well as that scene i think yeah do you feel like you can tell if like a artist like has like a punk background even if we're using that very generally uh some most of the time i think so um i know i know there's there are a handful of uh country 
country bands, what I call country, you know, out there right now, um, that that definitely came from you know a, a, a punk sort of background that don't even don't really sound like punk bands yeah. right now, you know. Um, but but you can tell that that mentality is there. A lot of bands, a lot of bands are are just. I think it's just a lot of times it's people that are just. They really want to get their get their stuff out there in front of people, and they'll do. They're willing to to do whatever it takes, and there's not like a rock star kind of ego about it. It's it's just, I got this. I got these songs. I want people to hear. Yeah, I mean, that's all. I feel like I can kind of like tell when someone had some sort of background, and, and I struggle to even use the word punk because it's you know, well, it's, it's such like, a generic yeah. term now. Yeah, yeah. And, but like people that kind of have this, I guess like a humble beginning, and they kind of just like a DIY attitude with it. So then I just interchangeably use the word punk, but it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, at like, this point, I think that's kind of, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what yeah. it is, right? Like if you, you had to learn it as you go, you come up and you do it all on your own and you do whatever you want to do. Who cares? Whatever somebody else has to say, then to me, that's, yeah, that's about, that's about it. It's not so defined. I don't think, I don't think punk is so defined anymore as it used to be. Yeah, I remember in like my first band, uh, it was like a metalcore band, where we we couldn't we felt like we couldn't really record on our own unless we had a label, right? And yeah. and then kind of well, like getting you, yeah. yeah, it's like even thinking about like it's like you can't be creative without like someone co-signing on or giving you lots of money. I I will say that something that I've been kind of talking to some people about on that similar kind of thing is, you know, back back in, in, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when pop music, all music was, you know, you know anyways, they were working with producers, like, like an artist would work with a producer, not just in the studio. They were constantly working with a producer or a songwriter kind of thing. And I've been, I've, I've, talked to a few people and I kind of talked talked about it thought about it and was like uh it'd be cool to kind of have have a person that's not in your band that has a knowledge of music mm-hmm. that like every time I write a new song I go hey they they're familiar with the sound that you're trying to that you're working on they're familiar with the music you're playing here's the song I have you're an outside ear what do you think what do you think I need to do with it to make it good or better yeah, you know, and and but but that used to be a pretty common thing. I don't know. I guess it might be now if you're you know on a big record label. I'm I'm guessing it. I'm sure it is, but it seemed like it used to be more like that was part of the process. You had to you had to work with a, a an actual producer. Yeah, you know? when I guess when in 1973, yeah, like you couldn't you couldn't really record a record without it being like in a big studio. Yeah, well, I, you know, it would have been yeah. more difficult than it is. It wouldn't now. have the quality wouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, we can you can record a a, a demo on your phone now and it sounds fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I guess like when I think about the idea that some a lot of these songs on this record were written by other people, it's like if you could not necessarily like maybe even if I felt comfortable like being hey, can you write a song for me. That shouldn't be, like, such a weird thing. Yeah. But even to the point of, like, I feel like when any time I've joined a band, it's, like, those three or four people, you know? And then, like, the essence of, like, collaborating with people more often 
is something I personally don't do. Right. So I think like sometimes like maybe it's maybe it's like a producer to some people, but it's like if you had a friend that was just like that gave you a good opinion, like oh do this like an honest opinion. Yeah, yeah. an honest opinion. It's not just like hey this sucks. (laughs) I think well because you know a lot of times your your friends or whoever people are going to be like oh it sounds good yeah that sounds great and you're like but but i know i know that there's this thing that we could do to make it better but you know or i know i know that didn't sound great you know when you play a show and you like at the end of the night you're done you're like god that sucked that was terrible yeah. and then people are like oh so, so good tonight man you sounded great and you're like uh, well that's like, that's like we, a hard we, give we and horrible, take but it's like i wonder if people if people are i don't know oh, that, that's a hard thing because i think that there could be constructive, like positive criticism, yeah. but also I think like if if like you're done with the set and then you're like, oh, I'm bummed out, and then it's like you can't really change anything after that. Yeah, point. and you're always gonna be hard on yourself. <laughs> that too, but it's like so in a sense of like a performance, it's like oh, I don't know if I would tell a friend like they probably know they probably no. like you're gonna beat yourself up enough that I don't feel like I need to yeah, tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that, I messed up on yeah. Yeah, and that's so, so. Sometimes too, I feel like you have to kind of like yeah, not give all that to the audience. I always feel like I want somebody after after I play to be like come up and be like, yeah, man, y'all sounded good, but I heard this part in this one song that blah 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 blah. But I also feel like if they did that, I'd be like, what the hell, man? Yeah, <laughs> you could have just ended it. That sounded good. <laughs> yeah, it really is like, how are you doing? And then if someone's like. Well, I mean, You're like, I, oh, I didn't mean you know, it. <laughs> you know, my yeah, my house is flooded, and they're like, "Shit, I didn't really." Dude, want you could have just said, "Hey, I'm fine, man." How yeah, about you? that's all you want, because like it's like the end of a show, and <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I, you know, it's like I know my friend knows he fucked up, like slid into the wrong note or right. something, so I don't right. need to be like on the third song. You uh, slid into the wrong note because yeah. they're going to be beating themselves up enough about it. But kind of like and when you're actually in the creative process of it, like if someone like if you record an album and it's like out on vinyl and then I'm like, hey, you should have did the verse again. It's a little too late. Yeah, cool. Thanks. You know, or yeah. like it's subjective, too. That's a hard thing with like art or even like if, if someone were just were like, oh, Doug Som is a shitty singer. You know, it's like, what the fuck is he going to do about it? You know? like uh, Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's not like, for you. It doesn't mean, yeah. Like, if someone's like, well, I think, uh, you know, like, for my own music, it's just like, oh, you're not a good singer. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Who cares? It's nothing. Like, who cares? Yeah. You know? But, like, to actually get some sort of collaboration or kind of, like, input that improves, actually mm-hmm. improves the song, it's a, it's a tough area. Yeah. But I feel like there is... There's something there. I've, I like an outsider's perspective. Like some, like I said, somebody that's familiar, mm-hmm. but but isn't a part of the band or isn't gonna feel bad giving constructive criticism. You know, I think that, I think that would be really cool to for that to be be a thing again. I think I know from my experience with a lot of bands that I play with, when it comes time to record, it's like we got to hurry up and do this. Mm-hmm. You don't get the I guess things are different now. Also, it seems like just the way that it works now. But it seems like it seemed like back then they they spent time in the studio. They would they would record an album, but they would like 
write songs mm-hmm. in the studio and and sit down and record and I guess you can kind of do that on your own yeah. at home now with with home recording everything being so easy to record at home you can kind of demo stuff at home um but I but, wonder those producers were they I mean they're also probably just kind of making something up on the fly like well hey, they you know <laughs> They would hear stuff and they'd go, well, I know I know that if you were to do this part, that would, you know, we could do this here. You do this one thing too many times in a song and try doing it only once instead of three times or whatever. And and it might be the change, the new set of ears on your song that, you know, that, that you didn't know you needed. Yeah, I mean, because it would be nice, like, if you recorded, like, if you had the time, you know, um, or just had someone to be like, oh, put an extra thing in yeah there. or know, i hear this instrument on top of it let's let's add it and see how it sounds and if it doesn't sound good we can take it off and yeah and, yeah that's like know. an interesting thing because i think like you know it's like most of the bands i play in are like guitar yeah bass, and drum yeah. and then that's it but it's like i think people get this idea of you know it's like oh well that's how we'll play it live so we can't add keys but then it's like no one cares that you can't yeah i i'll say that i've kind of like in the past like with bands where they put out an album i'm like that doesn't sound anything like they sound live and then the more that i get into it get into it i'm like well you should use the studio if you got if you got all that stuff and if you if you hear your songs with with an organ and a horn section then put them in there, and then then that gives the the if you ever have the chance to have those kind of band, that those kind of musicians playing, they've got something you know the groundwork already there for the song, yeah. and and then you can finally get that full thing. Plus, it's a like I said, it's a it's an album, it's a it's a record. Like you you may not ever have the chance to do it again, so make it the best you can do it. I mean, I say that, but I, you know, I hate just about every album, every re- recording that I've done. <laughs> yeah, it's hard when it's you're like in, real critical. Of, yeah, you know. when you're in that instance and you're like, oh, I gotta record. Even if yeah. you, it's like a lot of times I'm like, when I actually get in the studio, I'm like, gotta record, gotta get this done, and then you kind of just sit on a finished product yeah. and nothing kind of changes, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm like, I want even if I kind of get to the point where I'm done, it's like I let friends kind of like see it and kind of. You know, throw other shit. But I used to kind of think, like, it's like, well, this is our band configuration, so I can't put this in in the right, studio right. because I can't replicate it live. But now, I'm like, who to. gives a shit? Yeah, right. Know? Make it sound cool. Make it sound like you want, like, if if you want to, you know, when you're in the studio, you make it sound how it could be the best you could ever possibly make it sound. Yeah. You know? And to the idea that it's like, oh, I can just, like, record a friend doing it especially if it's kind of auxiliary things like keys or you can use it or not or whatever yeah and you're like oh you know if it doesn't fit it doesn't fit but it's worth it's worth having it you know just in case yeah i like that's what i like about a lot of his stuff is it seems like he would do wherever he was in town like he would have his his group that traveled with him and then it would just be like well i know this guy here he plays saxophone Let's yeah. call him up tonight and have him come play. Or he, this guy plays whatever. This guy plays pedal steel. Come have him come play tonight. And then all of a sudden they're in the band for for a couple weeks, you know. And that that changes that changes the dynamics of the band too because then you're working around these new instruments, you know. And then I think sometimes if they're known mus- if they're musicians that people know, that's getting a different 
a different group of people out in in front of your band too because they're coming to see that guy you know yeah I, that's something i've wanted to do with with my band but i mean it's you know it's like everything is easier said than done yeah i mean i guess it was like it's easier in the idea of like even back during this time frame i mean this record came out on atlantic Records, so it's like they however much money they got and you can sit around being like oh i'll play around with this guy but yeah. it's like you know you and i gotta work all day and then be like oh it'd be nice if this person played piano right but who yeah. has the time because yeah yeah it's not your job right like duck song yeah i think well the music industry is totally different now so that has a lot to do with it i mean yeah. you, you know you you pretty much have to it have a supplemental income if you're going to be a musician <laughs> yeah and that's well like though i think that if you kind of asked a friend that played piano like hey we show up tonight and maybe they have a little bit of a heads up of what yeah. song they're playing it is a possible thing to do i've seen people sure. do it all the time but i used to kind of think that like this is the band set up it could never yeah. change from that or it won't a show won't work yeah but it's like things can be a little bit more elastic if you, know, you and still it, work if you're if you're a capable enough musician, which it, you know, it's not going to change things too much. If you're adding instruments, it just makes it's just more sound, you know. Yeah. But but that makes you better. The more people you play with, the, the the more like different people you play with, you hear different things, you learn you learn new things. You're always going to be getting better that way. I yeah. think I'm always I always I'll, I've been thrown into a lot of situations before where I've played shows, a lot of steel gigs that I've had where I'm like. I, I've played some where I literally have never met a person before. Yeah. Show up and don't know, don't have a clue what songs they're playing. They don't always go great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like people perceive that they don't go great, or is that just I don't you? know. I think it's, it's probably both. Yeah. Do you think like pedal steel is a different instrument in that way? Because I I don't know if like. Do you feel like you could do that on bass? Do you feel like you could show up? No. No, because bass, if you hit a wrong note, people yeah. are going to be like, ooh, that's the wrong note. But if you hit a wrong note on pedal steel, it's like, well, you can just get into the right note. Or you just kind of do it again. Yeah, there like, are, I did it, it feels, on purpose. Yeah, there <laughs> are like a few instruments. Like if you're kind of playing lead guitar, like actual lead guitar, yeah. if you're playing pedal steel, if you're playing like keys or something, I feel like you can, you can kind of get in there. finesse it a little yeah. bit. But yeah, there's certain things where it's like, if you're supposed to play, there's a um, Mike Mike Nesmith and Red Roads live album that came out a, a couple years ago, and there's a song where it's just the two of them play them. It's a live a live thing, and um, Mike is trying to describe how pedal steel works, mm-hmm. and he's like, it's it's kind of it's an instrument that like it's catch as catch can. <laughs> And if you think about it, if you know how to play steel, it's like, really, it kind of is. It's like, if you hit the wrong note, well, then you you hit that one, so you eliminated that one. So, you know, like, I think I'll just go up one fret or down one fret, and then I'll be fine. So you're like, you're kind of getting in there sometimes. You, if you're playing with people you never play with, playing songs you never played, you're, you'll go, you'll slide way too high one time. Uh-oh. That, that wasn't right, you know, and then the next time you're like, all right, get in there. But a lot of times it ends up being a feel thing. Once you learn what the pedals and the knee levers do, you you can kind of get it the like a feel. It's more of a feel 
or combination of a feel and hearing kind of thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like your body shifts in a way that makes the music, the, the notes move also. So you mm-hmm. kind of know. Yeah. I mean, pedal steel is such a unique thing. I mean, it's like, that's such like a, like, well, like, I guess people listening to this don't you know you specifically. So you play pedal steel and you played for like 10 or more we, years. Yeah, uh, going on 10, or about 10 years, yeah, yeah. 10 years. Uh, was there like a, like why pedal steel originally? Well, like if you can trace it back. Yeah, to, no, I know exactly. Because it, it's it kind of, you know, it's it's not, you don't see it all that yeah, much. Yeah, well, and so when we were not playing in the, in band in a band because you know we had we had played in two bands together yeah and uh we weren't neither one of us are playing music for a while now it was really getting into country music and that would have been 10 that would have been more than 10 years ago that would have probably been about 12 or 13 years ago and um we were living together and uh we i was like me and me and dan we're talking about starting a country band and, and we all kind of just joked about it, talked about it, whatever. And then it was like, I remember just kind of, I don't know how to play this kind of music, but I want to do it. And I was kind of getting people or talking to people. I was like talking to Evan, you know, talking to, you know, trying to figure out what Dan was going to play, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I was like, well, I guess if I'm putting this band together and the only instruments that I'm capable at everybody else is playing is better than me mm-hmm. uh, i gotta find something to do and so i started with the lap steel because i was like well if it's a country band it's gotta have some sort of steel guitar and then it just became a natural progression to, for to play pedal steel and then once i did it i realized that was uh, that was you know everybody's got their their thing i guess every musician has like a lot most musicians if you're good you can kind of play a few different things you, you may not be great at it but you can play a couple different pick out a few notes on different instruments yeah um but pedal steel was the one for me that that kind of i mean it doesn't make any sense but i feel comfortable with it if that make if that makes sense yeah <laughs> well, is, is it's that, still a tough is that thing. kind of a time like how much time you put into it or did it kind of click right away? Constantly trying to uh, learn stuff, man. It's it's a it's a never ending process. And then every time I think I figured something out new, I, and and then I'm doing a, a good job. I get online and I see somebody that's like half child. my age, and, I, and then they're just like shredding the thing. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I shouldn't compare myself to other people. Is what I keep trying to yeah. keep trying to say. But sometimes you're it's like, hard whoa, not to. man, like, yeah. I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I, I think you've gotten like really good at pedal steel. Thanks. Um, I think what's interesting, I mean, there's still not a ton of people. Like how many people in Charlotte there, do it? There's a handful, but I th- I think as far as playing like country stuff or traditional styles of music, I think I might be one of two or three people that are actually doing it in Charlotte. Yeah, the it's rest such a are specific yeah, thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's not very many in town. Yeah, I know. I know Asheville has a pretty big scene for it. Um, they've got a lot, and they've got a lot of really good players up there. Uh, Raleigh's got some too, but Charlotte seems to be pretty lacking in that area. But I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> well, kind of keeps me busy sometimes. Yeah, it too. keeps you playing. On I'm the gonna go to a lot of times for certain things. So. It's hard to be mad about making money. 
Yeah. Well, that's like <laughs> I, the idea of like making money. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so being play, the only person that yeah. can do it, right? Play pedal steel. Yeah, it's not a good no. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to people looking looking for a s- stability. What's the What's the main <laughs> tuning on pedal steel um, that you use? The what I use is E nine, which is the standard for most what they i guess what they call modern which pedal steel is still a pretty new instrument it's you know 60 70 60 years old or so it's still a fairly new instrument Mm -hmm. um but e9 is the standard most of the time based off of the tuning that buddy emmons kind of came up with yeah and i mean lap steel and pedal steel tunings would they be different uh so if you it you can kind of tune a lap steel to whatever you want. Oh, okay. It, it is kind of whatever you yeah. want to get out of it. It's basically a slide guitar. Mm, true. With playing pedal steel, well, you actually play uh, guitar in your own band, yeah. West and the Railroaders. Yep. Um. So you don't play a pedal steel in that one. I don't. Um. <laughs> I. Yeah. So initially, when I started kind of putting that band together, uh. I'd never written or sang or anything, and I, I wanted to try it out. I was like, I got some ideas, and I think I think I got some cool stuff. And there's nobody in town really playing, playing what I want to play. There's some country bands in town, and there's some good country bands in town, but there's like a specific sound that I was going for that I'm still chasing. I think I think that's mm-hmm. kind of everybody always like trying to sound like, you know, always trying to get better. If you're not doing it, if you're doing it you know, the right way, you're you're trying to sound better always yeah but um but yeah it you know once i decided i was going to try that i I wanted to i wanted to initially uh kind of make it be a collective uh, of people that 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 were into the same stuff as me and then i kind of realized like there weren't a lot of people that were around that were doing it right at that time and uh i got i got a really good group of players with me I was ready to, uh, I was ready to start kind of writing my own songs. I had some ideas. I had, I had some things that I didn't think, you know, people in Charlotte were doing. I wanted to do something different, and I found the guys that I've got, and they're really awesome. And uh, Steve was playing guitar with us. Uh, Steve Longo. He had just moved down from Long Island, and he was like all into country music, which was pretty crazy. You know, a guy that yeah. was born and raised and lived in Long Island his whole life is a big country music fan. And um, Pat Bowden plays drums for me. He plays with a bunch of good bands in town, and uh, he's been playing forever. And Ethan Ricks plays bass. He's he is one of the best, if not the best, bass player I've ever played with. Though my, you know, my my band we started, and I was clueless i'd never written like i said i'd never written a song never sang a song before and then we you know four almost five years into it now uh neil mooney who plays with you in late bloomer played with us in pullman strike is is my newly guitar player um i always wanted i always wanted to it to be initially like like i said a collective kind of thing uh, where we would all share songwriting responsibility, but it just didn't pan out that way, which is totally fine. I'm okay with that. I would, I, I did record uh, pedal steel on the demo on the EP, um, but I think 
I'd like to get some somebody to play pedal steel on some live stuff. Uh, and I know a couple of people that I've, that I've got in mind, um, that would work, that would work well for it. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun process learning how to write and sing. And it's made me better at playing regular guitar also because I've just had to get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. And with like playing acoustic guitar, do you feel like you were before Wesson Railroaders, were you kind of just like, did you play a lot acoustic guitar? Or was it kind of just to like write a little bit of the song? Like, do you feel like you invested a lot of time? I guess playing guitar general or acoustic guitar. I would pick up. I would pick it up. Like at first, just kind of pick it up and just play around and not really know what I was doing. And I've been playing guitar since I was twelve or thirteen, I think. But I never was really great at it. Yeah. And uh, it it like when I when it clicked when the songwriting thing finally clicked for me. I think I remember like sending you text messages asking like, hey how do you write songs? Like, how do you sing and play chords at the same time? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Well, sometimes like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> some days it doesn't. But like, it, but yeah. it, it, like I figured out how to do it mm-hmm. in a sense. But the more that I get into it, the more I'm like, I don't, I still don't have any idea what I'm doing. Like the more I learn different things on guitar and then I come up with better, like new ideas for like new riffs or something like, well, how am I going to sing over that? Yeah, you're like this. Sound, this thing sounds really cool, but if I can't sing over it, then what is it? Like, what's the point of playing it? Yeah, it's like you know? <laughs> I feel like when I, it's I can't really. I wouldn't really call myself a guitar player. I can uh, play a guitar and make it sound okay on a recording, but Good with like singing and playing bass at the same time, it's like you have like an initial click, and you're like, oh, I can sing and play bass. Right. But then you learn more on bass, kind of the same you're saying, and you're like wait, I'm really bad at this. And you're constantly up against the wall, but that also constantly means that you're learning. Yeah. I mean, it's better than somebody that's not, you know, not doing it. Like, yeah, if you didn't have that self-awareness, that'd probably be weird. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. I'm perfect. I'm good. I don't need to learn I just always think I'm bad. That's the uh, Johnny Ramone way of playing guitar, right? It says the stories about him where he's like, it's work. Why would I play guitar for fun? He's like, I don't play guitar when when I'm not playing, when I'm not in the band. Uh, or like the uh, the guy from that band, half Japanese. I think his name is Jad Fair. Oh yeah, uh, that documentary where he's like, "Well, I learned everything, and they learn in a day." Yeah, yeah. When they're asking him, they're like, "What chords are you playing?" Yeah. He's like, "You mean the thing that plugs into the amp?" Yeah, yeah and I'm like, I don't know if that's what I want to be. You know? Yeah, but, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to set out and be the best musician that ever lived. I just want to make stuff that sounds cool sometimes i feel like i have to refocus and be like okay when you just did a song that was like gc and d and that's still the most of what i play great yeah but i'm like (laughs) you were cool with that yeah and then you kind of start going i gotta do this and this and this and then you're like but you know kind of like reminding yourself you're like no you you don't have to right like almost like every once in a while i kind of recenter myself and be like it can be this simple yeah like it can be this little bit like it doesn't have to have ever, all of these other bells and whistles on it. It's like a hard thing to remind yourself. Well, on that this record, there are I want to say Poison Love, and maybe might be one other song. They're like two chord songs. Yeah, you're like I've played. I've sat down. This one of my favorite records to just like put on and just kind of noodle around on guitar with. And yeah, two chord songs. 
Yeah. You can, I mean, you don't need anything. I, there's um that played a one chord song. Oh, the Colonel. Oh. Yeah, he oh, yeah. he had a one chord. He had a one chord song. Yeah. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other, I mean, there's so many other people that play on this record too that yeah. are like, when you're kind of listening to Doug Som, it's not that complicated. But then got all these other bells. Let them yeah. do the bells yeah. and whistles sometimes. You know? Well, and he's playing fiddle on the record too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he, I mean, he could have he could have probably sat down and played every instrument, but he just was like, well, I'm gonna get all these people that are the like the best at what they do and have them on it. Yeah. Okay, so you put out your EP Drinking My Way Up in 2019. So what's the next what's next for you? <laughs> uh I don't really know. We're kind of working on I've been writing some new songs um kind of staying in the same sort of vein as far as like old school honky tonk but kind of just i'm learning more i'm getting better at it i think and um with that kind of comes change and progression and my my taste in music has changed so much just since starting that band uh it uh that like i think all a lot of my influences come in come into it and uh and so i think like i i still kind of call us a honky-tonk band because the majority of what we play is that style but i think with this new batch of songs that are coming out that's going to be less and less of a thing i mean it's still going to sound you know like us and 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 be a country band but it may not be such straightforward you know honky-tonk kind of stuff and do you feel like uh Doug Som kind of like plays any influence in your songwriting in any sort of way? Yeah, I would say um, I try to, I try to like as far as like musically, I, I like to incorporate kind of different styles. And, and when I do that, they, like I said, they still end up sounding like I wrote them. But it's like my version of, of this kind of song, of a, of a doo-wop song or my version of a blues song or something, you know. Yeah. And it's never going to, it's it's you can always say you know there's an influence here but you don't ever want to try to sound just like somebody well i mean i appreciate you talking to me hey thanks for having me on yeah love you love you (laughs) welcome back thanks again to wes for coming on the pod it's great catching up and chatting about doug psalm and you know as you heard so much more please check out Westland Railroaders' EP, Drinking My Way Up, anywhere you stream music. Okay, on to next week. Next week, we're talking with Tom Sheehan of Extra Grind Podcasts and of the bands Indecision, Most Precious Blood, and most recently, Colossus. We talked about Sugar's debut 1992 album, Copper Blue. So more on that next week. Once again, check out the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And follow us on social media at Spinning Out Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. It really helps. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for adding the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>